Hey guys, I hope you're going to enjoy this interview with pro trader Gareth Soloway. One thing I want to note, he brings up a lot of charts during the interview. So this might be an episode that you want to catch on my YouTube channel. You can find a link in the description of this podcast where you can watch the video version so you can see all the charts. That being said, if you want to stick around and listen to the podcast, I think you're still going to get a ton out of it. So without further ado, here's Gareth Soloway. Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Commodity Culture. My name is Jesse Day, and on this show, we break down the commodity space for both new and experienced investors. But before we dive in, standard disclaimer, nothing here is investing advice. Do your own due diligence. And today's guest is a pro trader with over 20 years of experience and the president of InTheMoneyStocks.com and VerifiedInvesting.com, Mr. Gareth Soloway. It's an honor to have you on. Uh, Honor to be here. Thank you so much, Jesse, for having me. Awesome. Well, let's dive in like I do with all new guests into the origin story. So I'd like to know, how did you first discover investing and trading? And how did that road lead you from there to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So so it started when I was pretty young. Um, I grew up in a household, we were kind <clears> of, <throat> excuse me, middle income to lower income. Uh, my parents didn't invest. I knew nothing about investing. I wasn't exposed to investing. And in high school, I was kind of thinking about, okay, well, how do I get into a good school, a good college, a good university? And I saw the investment club, right? And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Let me give this a shot. This looks like it'll be good on a resume. And so I did. And it happened to be in the late 90s when the dot-com bubble was blowing up. Like you saw these stocks just like crypto we've seen going up 100%, 300%, 1,000%. And even though I didn't have any money then, um, I had a fake account for the investment club and I was able to double and triple it in a very short amount of time. And that, for a kid that had very little money, was so addicting. And so right from that point on, I said, I have to figure this out. I have to figure out how to be a trader and do this for a living. And off I went. And uh, you know, it took me a while to get there. After college, I worked for a company um, where I was on the, uh, I was kind of low man on the totem pole. So I was doing cold calling, even though it was in the wealth management division, didn't like it one bit. Uh, after a year, I quit. I had $10,000 saved and I went and started trading for myself. And needless to say, it went poorly. Uh, Every new trader, uh, you know, it's hard. You have to learn the ropes. The market teaches you many lessons. I worked multiple side jobs to kind of just replenish that account. And over time, I started to develop kind of the mindset of a trader and the ability to read the charts. And that kind of led me up to starting in the money stocks in 2007 and then where we are today. Great. Well, I'd like to dive into some specific commodities with you. But first, I have a broader macro question. And that is, do you believe we are on the precipice of a commodities bull cycle? And if so, what are the main factors you're seeing contributing to strength in that sector? Yeah, so I do think we're on on the verge of a big bull cycle in commodities. In fact, you know, I, I've talked about, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, the gold chart and how it's borderline breaking a triple top. Um, I've talked about how the 1970s chart is very similar to what we're seeing in gold here. 1970s gold had a 9x in that period. So I think gold especially, I think the other metals as well, although some of the other metals are somewhat an industrial metal as well, and I think that's a little bit of an issue, um, just because if we do see a global recession, 
that obviously could take a little bit of demand away. But I, I do believe that we're on a verge of an overall um, big move in the commodity space. Well, let's start with gold, as you've just brought up there, because you've said you think it will be the best performing asset in 2023. So why do you believe gold will outperform? And also, what are the main ways that you get exposure to the sector? Yeah, so so exposure wise, um, there's a couple ways. So I'm a big believer in having some physical metal on hand. Uh, you don't need a lot, but the way I look at it is, if we wake up one morning and the grid is down and the banks are closed and our credit cards don't work, uh, maybe we don't have any cash on us. Then you have physical gold as a way of of you know buying things in that type of world. So you don't need a lot of that, but it's kind of like just I sleep better at night having some physical gold and silver on hand. The other side of the coin would be that. We're at this point where you have the charts signaling this bigger move to the upside. And again, I, I love being able to show these charts here. Um, and just for, for everyone else out there, um, in terms of what I play on a swing trade basis, so if I'm trading gold, I'm usually using the GLD, or if I want the miners, the GDX. And again, the GLD is the ETF that tracks gold, the GDX tracks the miners. So that enables me to get in and out. If you're buying physical gold, it's not the best thing to constantly sell it and then buy it back and sell it and buy it back. It's more of a long-term kind of pass it down to my kids if I don't need it type deal. But when we look at the gold chart, I want to show you this. So number one, if we zoom out on this chart, you had the move up from 2018 to 2020. From 2020 to basically the end of 2022, we went sideways to lower. Now, in technical analysis, this up move followed by this choppy consolidation, that's a bullish pattern. That's known as a bull flag. Since 2023, we've seen gold starting to take off. It reattacked a triple top. Essentially, we have one two, three hits. Triple tops notoriously pull cause pullbacks, which is what we're seeing now, but they're shallow pullbacks, usually with a breakout that follows. So I do think that within a month or two, we are above this level. And I think by the end of 2023, we're probably looking at $2,300 per ounce gold. And I think even north of 4,000 um, on gold by the end of 2024. Last thing I'll show you guys on this is my favorite chart to show. And I'm just going to get rid of these trend lines so that it can be as crystal clear to everyone as possible. But if we go to our weekly chart, we can go back to the period of the 1970s, which was really the last time we had inflation that was kind of out of control, right? And what we saw in the 1970s is was this up move for two years from 73 to 75, then this consolidation from 75 to 77, and then look at the bull run that took place after that. And the reason I bring this to our attention is because the only way we can predict the future is by looking at what happened in the past based on the same factors that are occurring, right? And generally, we see history, if not repeat, at least it rhymes. And so this mega move, in my opinion, this is what we're starting to get into on gold. And if we go back to the current time on gold, the same sort of pattern. Here's your two years up your consolidation, and now you're getting ready for that bigger move that should take us up. Now, in all fairness, I don't want to get people too excited here. I don't see gold doing a 9x like it did in the 70s. You know, Back then, you didn't have Bitcoin as a potential alternative and other things like that. But do I think it can do a 3x in the next few years? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. So let's move on to silver, because in precious metals markets, 
uh, bull market, silver is known to outperform gold at least temporarily. So do you see silver as a way to get more torque when it comes to upside price action? And I'm wondering if there's any risks in investing in silver versus gold. Is there more volatility? Um, what, what, what do you, could you shed some light there? Yeah, absolutely. So if we take a look at the silver chart, so so number one, there is more volatility in silver. Silver tends to go down more than gold and go up more than gold. The biggest risk, risk factor to the silver trade, if you're going to be in silver, is that gold is a pure play on inflation and fear, while silver is, an, is a play on inflation and fear plus the demand from the industrial complex or, the, or, or you know, businesses essentially, right? If you think about car batteries and, and all these other things that silver goes into, that is again, partially a result of, of the price action in silver. So if again, and this is something I'm fearful of, is that we're headed towards a bigger macro slowdown as the Federal Reserve has raised rates, global central banks have jacked up rates to fight inflation, it likely will slow down the global economy. The Fed's even predicting now a mild recession. And the question you have to ask yourself is how much does that take away from the silver move when gold is the pure play? So again, longer term, if you ask me five years out, I think gold, a silver probably outperforms gold. But in the near term, I think actually a gold likely will outperform. In fact, if you just look recently in the last few days, we've had such a sharp pullback in silver. And if we go back to the gold chart here, it's been barely a pullback on, on gold. So it definitely shows us that gold is more volatile. And uh, it shows us that, again, you have to be aware of that as an investor. So a lot of our viewers are uranium investors. Uh, so I have to ask your take on uranium. Are you bullish or bearish long term? And do you see anything in the short term that that presents risks, potentially a, a further downside in the price? Yeah, so and just being a chart guy, I, you know, for the most part, I just refer to the charts. Um, I actually don't mind the chart here. So this is the uranium ETF, uh, the URA. And the first thing that I see is you have a pivot down here, which we haven't hit. So is there a chance it could go a little bit lower? Yeah, it could. But overall, this pattern here is very similar to what we've been seeing in gold, which is that kind of sideways to lower consolidation, what we would call a wedge pattern, right? And again, if I remove this lower trend line, it comes a little bit clearer. That's a wedge from there to right there. Now, wedge patterns, when they occur after a big run-up like this had from 2020 into 2021, this would be known as a bullish wedge. So, you know, even if it dips a little bit more, for the most part, as long as this pattern holds, you would expect an eventual breakout and a run to the upside. So again, it doesn't give us like in the next month, it's going to have this big run. But I think over the next six to 12 to 18 months, I would be bullish on uranium here and expect to move up. Great. We definitely love to hear that on this show. Um, I'd like to talk oil and gas, but uh, one at a time and starting with natural gas, because I feel like it often gets overlooked in the conversation. So I want to hear your thoughts specifically on that commodity. We've seen prices drop dramatically from the highs in August of 2022. Could we see natural gas rise back up to those levels again? Yeah, and that's a great question. So, I mean, the, the biggest thing with natural gas is it's it's kind of a it got caught up in its own success. And what I mean by that is if we look at the chart, it had this monster run up when Russia invaded Ukraine and there was this fear about uh, cutting off gas and was Europe going to be in a major pickle. And so what you got was every fund out there, every big investor, small investors, they all went long natural gas thinking, oh, this is the easiest trade in the world. 
one thing I've learned in trading is that when everyone thinks it's an easy trade, it's usually not, right? It's usually the opposite is what ends up happening. And that's what happened. And so you, you had this big fall because there were so many people caught off sides. On the long side, there was just so much selling pressure to the downside. Now, when you look at where natural gas is, to me, number one, it's a commodity, so it's going to be influenced by inflation. And number two is you still have the, the weather effects that we were seasonality, stuff like that. To me, is there risk that it could go a little bit lower? Absolutely, right? I mean, it could go down 5, 10, 15%. It's natural gas. But at these levels, if you had to choose, I would definitely be choosing on the long side here for an eventual move to the upside. In fact, I have a target price on it here. Let me show you guys here. See this little pivot right here with this pivot right here? That would be my expectation. So when you're asking whether or not it can go back up to eight or nine or ten dollars, you know that may be years from now, or if if there's another catastrophic kind of invasion or crisis. But at least for regular trading wise, my guess is you have a move up back to three dollars and forty cents, three dollars fifty cents, and that would be as a technical trader. If we got that move, I would be selling into that move. So we've seen WTI crude oil largely moving sideways in 2023, ranging from about $65 to $83 a barrel. How do you see oil performing for the rest of the year and beyond? Yeah, so with oil, it again, it's it's one of these charts that, you know, the highs were put in when there was so much fear and panic over the Russia invasion, uh, cutting off the supply of oil to the rest of the world from Russia. And what we found out, by the way, is that Russia still sells their oil. They just sell it to countries that will buy it at a discount. So all that oil is still out there. What we saw recently about a month or so ago was OPEC cutting production. Now, one thing historically I know from trading for all these years is that when OPEC actually cuts production, you get the the immediate spike up, and then it actually comes back and goes lower. And the reason that happens is the only reason they're cutting cutting production is because they anticipate a recession. And ultimately, once the market realizes that we are headed towards that recession, there's a big drop off in demand. Price has to fall, right? So basic economics. Now, looking at the chart here, we can see that there's a clear support level at the $64.50 level, right? It came down here back in March. It retested it just recently in early May. It bounced. But I will say this is that I do think that towards the end of this year, we will break lower and likely head towards the $50 level. So I have a year-end target around $50. Again, to me, that's coexisting with the idea that the Fed is probably right and underestimating the recession that we'll see. Um, but again, those type of things then would benefit gold. And I do think inflation stays longer, it stays higher for longer, which also benefits the metals overall. But again, with the demand side, that's where you really hurt oil. And again, it's one of those weird things where oil doesn't necessarily behave like a commodity like gold because it has such a demand component to it. So speaking about commodities that could be affected by a recession, what are your thoughts on copper here? Because from a fundamental perspective, it seems like there's going to be a lot of demand increase from the push to electrify the world, reduce carbon emissions, etc. Yet there are very few producing copper mines. I've had some people on the show, uh, people like Lobo Tigre, though, who say that in the short term, a recession could actually be bearish for copper prices. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are there. Yeah, so so I would actually ha tend to agree with that based on the chart analysis here. And if we remember the pattern that we had just looked at on gold, um, where and even uranium, where it had that move up and then it was kind of fading and going sideways to lower, what you actually see here is the exact opposite, right? Where you have this move down. 
and then this sideways consolidation. And look at what happened just just within the last day or so. We had a breakdown below this area. So this to me actually signals that copper is going to go lower, which again, even though I think the longer term picture, the five, 10 year outlook on silver is going to be, or on copper is going to be rosy. I think in the short term recession, China slowing down, maybe all of those things will drive copper down. So I would be bearish on copper here based on the chart. And what about over the longer term time horizon, the three to five year, perhaps beyond time horizon for copper? Do you think eventually that that situation will reverse coming out of a recession and that the, the demand on copper and the lack of mines coming online will potentially push the price upward? I do. I do. So, you know, what I love to do is when we talk about years out, I love to flip over to my monthly chart, which gives us such a big viewpoint going back to the late 90s even. And what one of the things that jumps out at me right away is you can see there's some trend lines here, right? So we could even make a case where you have a trend line right through here, right? So again, look at that. It's amazing. From this high, right? It touched right here. Then it touches here, right through here and here. And that, by the way, was the COVID panic low right in there. And what this would tell me, and again, if I was if I was an investor, which I am, and I'm looking to buy copper at a certain price, and this is a big drop, but this would be like where you would load the boat, is if you had a fall, let's say in the next 6, 12 months, and copper went down to about $2.50, that's the point. Like That's the golden ticket right there, that long-term trend line right in that point, low risk, high reward, and a major, major long-term technical support line. Very interesting. Um, I want to ask about lithium and the battery metals as well. Um, you know, I know you're coming at it more from the technical side, but at least from a fundamental side, there is government support for the mining of lithium and other metals that have been deemed critical to the new green economy, whether you believe that's really going to come to pass or not. But we are already seeing problems with EV adoption in regards to charging infrastructure. Um, is this something that you ultimately see being tackled? What, what are the charts telling you about lithium? And if there's other battery metals that, that you could touch on as well, maybe nickel and, and some of the other ones, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just bringing up uh, here the Global X Lithium and Battery Tech ETF. Um, and the first thing that I see is that overall, the pattern's not horrendous. As It's actually a decent pattern as long as it holds this trend line right here. So very clear trend line right there. If price violates that line, then you start heading significantly lower, probably to this area here, which would be the 2017 high. So, so for me as a technician, it makes me a little nervous that we're hammering over over the longer term, we're still somewhat overbought. Um, so I, I would be concerned that it's going to break lower. And again, I, I agree with you. I think that the infrastructure is not quite there. I'm seeing more and more pushback on EV vehicles now um, that's kind of starting up. And I think that does become a little bit more problematic for the lithium um the lithium ETFs, if you will, the battery ETFs. So, so for me, at least, I would be kind of on the sidelines here thinking if we do go into a recession, by the way, and again, we look at the cost of an EV, they're generally a little bit higher than a lot of the combustion engine vehicles as well. A recession could also impact how many people can buy EVs, especially the ones like Tesla that are on the higher end. So I, for me, I'd be kind of looking for a breakdown and then I'd be a buyer if it gets down in this range right down here. So I did want to put the uh, the recession question to you because you, you've mentioned in a lot of our discussions about these commodities, um, the, the question of, of a recession that could affect prices. 
So is there any chance at all in your mind of the mythical soft landing or is this recession kind of baked in? Is, is it inevitable? And if so, do you think it's going to be a global phenomenon or uh, just relegated to certain countries? Yeah, so so I, I would be shocked if if the Fed can engineer a soft landing. And I think the best indicator is looking historically at the Fed. And the Fed is always late to the punch. Um, whether it was in 09, uh, they waited way too long to come out and kind of backstop things and start quantitative easing. And then even when inflation was starting to roar, they were telling everyone it was transitory. It obviously wasn't, as we all know. And then they had to play catch up by jacking interest rates up so quickly that now we're seeing bank failures, right? So, so this is this is something that the Fed has shown over and over again that they they are not a very good they're not good at predicting the real outcome. And so, when they talk about a soft landing or Jan, Janet Yellen saying a soft landing, the Fed saying a mild recession, I just have a hard time believing it because their track record is so poor in predicting the actual outcome. So, so for me, I'd be much more apt to prepare for something worse than what they're saying. And then if it doesn't happen, great, but at least you're prepared. So my final question, I had another prolific trader on recently, Todd Bubba Horwitz, and I put this question to him. So I'd like to ask you as well. This is, you know, everybody out there seems to want to be a trader. A lot of people look at it as a way to make easy money. They're very attracted by the short time frames. They're thinking they're going to make a bunch of money day to day. As you mentioned, when you started out, you started out losing a lot of money and that was part of your education process. So I'm wondering if you could provide any insight into the psychology of trading versus investing. What type of mindset does it require? And, and if somebody really does want to pursue that path, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah. So, and you're right. There's, there's, it is very hard. The first thing that I want to tell people is to become a trader. It is extremely hard. It's, it's 90% discipline and, and mental kind of focus. And then the other side is learning the charts to be able to trade off of them. The learning part is easy. Anyone can learn. The hardest thing is to be disciplined enough to not get caught chasing positions, to not get in too early, to not get yourself in trouble. And when you do get in trouble, how do you manage that versus the common theme for investors is, um, and I've done this before in my career, is like, you know, if you're buying something as an investment, you're like, oh, I'm down 10% on it, no big deal. As a trader, that's not okay. You can't allow that to happen. So so there's this difference in mindset that comes when you're a trader versus an investor, and it takes some work. There's no doubt about it. It takes a lot of self-reflection, discipline, continually hammering in lessons over and over again. When you make mistakes, you have to learn from them because in the trading game, it costs you a lot of money. It's not like you can just be like, oh, you know, that was that was a, a mistake. I'll just hold it for the next 10 years. It may take up most of your buying power as a trader, and then you can't do other trades that make you money in the meantime. So so the biggest thing, again, is that just understand that it's it's 90% up here, and it's so hard to do, but it is achievable. It just takes a lot of work. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Gareth. We really appreciate it. For those who want to learn more, could you fill us in on In The Money Stocks, uh, Verified Investing, and, and anywhere else you'd like to direct people online? Absolutely. So verifiedinvesting.com is um, my website where we have education, we have crypto, a crypto service, we have other educators that are joining us. Our goal is to kind of build out some place that's the number one place for people to come to learn the real way to be a trader, an investor, anything you want, the discipline side, the technical side. We're even launching some stuff in a real estate to help people understand. So it's, it's really the goal here is to make it beneficial to anyone to become a pro. 
Uh, InTheMoneyStocks.com is my website where I trade stocks and ETFs. And again, if you're interested in analysis there, that's where you would go for that. Great. Well, I'll put links in the description below for anybody who wants to check that out. Once again, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge with our audience. Such a pleasure, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.